Welcome to the Deep in Japan podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Kruger, and today we have a special guest, a local friend uh, from Australia who is going to enlighten us on whiskey and head shops in Japan. And he's a scientist, so he's going to wow us with his information or his knowledge about air quality. Julian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, pleasure to be here and chatting with you, mate. Um, not sure there'll be too much wow or um, or pow in here, but um, you know, I'll do my best. See where we get. The whiskey will uh, dictate terms. I think I've got one in my hand as we speak. I've had a beer to uh, you know, wet the whistle on the way into the whiskey. So yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see where we end up. Should be a lot of fun. I know that you drink whiskey nightly. Um, and by the way, for those, everybody listening, nobody can see you, so they don't know what you look like, but you're a very handsome, you know, 40 year old man, not fat at all. How do you manage to drink whiskey every night and not pack on pounds? I, I'll never understand it. Well, whiskey's not beer, is it? It's, uh, it, it's light on the cows, so you can, uh, you can slam it down fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but you had a beer before your whiskey. Don't you usually have I don't a beer drink, every night too? I don't drink that much beer, honestly. Um, I used to drink a lot. Um, it never, yeah. Look, I've always just, I've always been reasonably thin. Um, it's just, it's just in the genes. But um, whiskey, honestly, I find that I don't get hungry when I drink whiskey. Whereas with mm -hmm. beer, you, you tend to, you know uh snack away on yeah all the all the bad stuff it just just gets the munchies going it's a bit like pot in that way i reckon but uh but whiskey for whatever reason i'm i'm happy to just sit down drink two usually two two whiskies a day and i'll just sit there and drink those two and and not touch anything else it's um it's usually a pre dinner thing as well um so yeah, look, highly recommended, honestly. Um, if anyone's going to get into a drink, <laughs> it's got to be whiskey. It's just, yeah, it's all round. What, what, what whiskey drink. are you drinking? Japan's got like the world famous hibiki. Uh, do you, what are you drinking on a nightly basis? Um, nightly basis is some, some cheap shit, honestly. Um, I drink uh, recently I've just been drinking some Jim Beam and Johnny Walker. Um, now they're dirt cheap in Japan, absolutely dirt cheap. You know, you can get mm -hmm. a, you can get a liter of each for, for next to nothing. So if I'm going to drink two whiskeys a night, every night, I'm not going to be going for, um, uh, Isla Smoky Lefroig or La Govelin or anything like that. I think I lost you there. Of course, but they're, you're back. They're, you're back. I wonder if you were recording because I couldn't hear anything. Really? Huh? Yeah. I don't know if it's my internet or your internet, um, but you're back, and that's all that matters. So you were saying that you prefer uh, better whiskey, I think, but you know, on yeah. a day-to-day -day basis, to save money, you go for the cheaper ones, Johnny Walker and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. You know, if 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 I was going to drink what I really want to drink on a daily basis, I would quickly be homeless. Uh, there's, <laughs> you know, 
there's some great whiskey out there and I want to drink it all of the time, but you just can't, you're, you're never going to afford that. Um, do you like the uh, smokier whiskeys or right? Cause I've, I've heard there are some rather smoky whiskeys out there. Yeah. Look, the smokier, the better. Um, my father-in-law bought me a really good one for, for Christmas, just gone smokehead, uh, cask strength. So it's a, um, uh, what is it? 58% straight out of the barrel, smoky as you like, um, knock your head off, Isla, Isla special. It's really, really good. And that's kind of something I'll go for once a month or thereabouts. Any more than that, and I don't know, feels like a bit of a waste to be drinking that sort of whiskey every day. Um, you don't drink whiskey at all then, do you, Jeff? Not a lot or? Uh, occasionally I, I, uh, don't usually drink unless I'm going out with friends. Although there are months of the year that I might, it's not even a month. It's usually like a couple of weeks of the year that I might drink. Um, you know, recently I've had, um, ever since being introduced to the Caesar by a Canadian friend, I've been occasionally having mixing like Caesars up and I'm having a Caesar right now tonight, just in honor of you joining the podcast. Right. I think but, you're uh, going to have to explain to me exactly what a Caesar is. It's a Bloody Mary with Clamata juice, essentially. Um, what did you say? I Clamata mean, I, juice? And I didn't even know what Clamata juice was until my Canadian friend enlightened like me on Chlamydia it. Chlamydia juice. <laughs> that's what I, that was the joke that I immediately proceeded to make. But um, yeah, it's clam and tomato juice mixed together. Okay. Um, right. You'd, you'd think it'd be pretty disgusting, but it's actually pretty good. Um, and I don't know if Bloody Marys are usually served with celery salt on the rim of the glass, but the Caesar is, and it, wow, it really ties it all together nicely. Mm. Yeah, look, well, maybe next time, once all this corona crap is all finished, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have one together. Come around, we'll... We'll smash a few uh, uh, Caesars and whiskeys to top it off. Yeah, dude, sounds good. Um, I know Julian by way of a friend. We were introduced, kind of, you know, friends of friends, and quickly realized that he was a good bloke, as they say. Is that Australian or British? I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, that's Australian. We say that. Good it's bloke. A bloke and a Sheila. Although the word Sheila has kind of dropped off the um, yeah Australian slang. How would I how would I say while. that? He's a good Sheila or he's a Sheila? Well, Sheila's for girls, so blokes for boys. Sheila's for girls. Okay, that um, makes sense. It's yeah. no longer weird for me. Yeah, okay. she's a good Sheila, but it's 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 dropped off in recent years. It's say fifty years back or something. It was quite popular then, but um, yeah, no one really says it anymore. Whereas for some reason, bloke, a good bloke is still right at the top. Um, I hear, I, I, I have a number of uh, Australian friends. I tend to get along pretty well with them. Like Canadians and Australians for me, top tier. Americans, sorry, boys, you can fuck off. But like, one <laughs> <laughs> I, I normally hear is uh, cunt, like a good cunt. Yeah. And if you said that in America, any woman with an earshot would slap that smile right off your face and tell you where you could go. But, you know, uh, he's a good cunt in 
Australian English, I guess, would just be a term of endearment among male friends, right? It is, exactly. Uh, the bigger a cunt you call your friend, the more you love them. Simple as that. <laughs> and if you There's haven't a called your friend a cunt, a cunt <laughs> then <laughs> they're not really your friend. Jeff, I don't think I've called you a cunt yet. Sorry, mate. You're a cunt. I'm just, ready for it. Yeah. Anytime you want to. <laughs> Yesterday, when I was thinking about this podcast, I thought, wouldn't it be funny if I just broke into my shitty Australian accent and f- did it for the entire fucking show? Um, <laughs> yeah. The, I don't have the nerve for it, though. Probably not the best idea. <laughs> probably not the best idea, no. I need to be a little bit more, you know, a little deeper into my cups for that yeah. to probably pan out. Well, I, I can put on my bogan for you, if you like, for a little while. We'll see... Um see if i can do that although honestly is a bogan that's a the of... redneck version of the australian accent is that right it is it's the um yeah the bogans are the um yeah the rednecks essentially um and... because i can do it a u.s redneck pretty well oh let's hear it i think uh yeah god it's tough to just break into an accent it isn't is it? yeah tell us what you think or... of trump <laughs> trump <laughs> Come on, if you're Probably, a redneck, you've got to support that guy. Yeah. Um, All right, we're going to a Trump rally tomorrow. Let's uh, let's get our redneck on. Y'all want to go down? I mean, that's this, that's like deep Appalachian, what I was just doing right there. But like, there's a variety of Southern accents. Um, mm. I don't know. I, it's Actually, it's really hard when someone, it, unless you have someone in front of you speaking it, it's actually to like tune into the frequency. It's pretty hard. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah, I, I I can't do accents. I won't even won't even bother trying. Apart from well, well I think I can do an Australian accent pretty well though, because I'm talking to you in Australian right now. So I think I can tune into the vibe a bit. You know, I've been fizzing it the bong to give this a go with you. So you tell me how I'm doing, eh? And then if I make any mistakes, go ahead and clear that up for me, all right? Oh, there's no mistakes. No, that's sounding pretty good, Steve Irwin. <laughs> if you get around here, we'll uh, wrestle some crocodiles together. Um, wrestle? Wrestle some crocodiles. Wrestle some crocodiles. Make sure you got Bluey in the back of your ute though, mate. True Blue. <laughs> Bluey in the back of my what? <laughs> Bluey goes in the back of the ute. There's nowhere else you can put Bluey. That's where he goes. Bluey. Bluey's Bluey's a, a blue healer. Every um every farmer in Australia has a blue healer dog. And the dog goes in the back of the utility truck, a ute. Ah. Yeah. Bluey goes in the ute, mate. <laughs> Did you have a bluey back when you were in no, Australia? I've never had a dog. I grew up with cats. Interesting. Mm. Did you ever want a dog or did you prefer it that way? I've eaten dog. Um <laughs> to- digress somewhat from that <laughs> line where, where did you how did that happen uh it was a deliberate um effort on my wife my wife and my parts there we um we went to korea and yeah, we sought that been, out I guess. a a dog meat restaurant over there um so yeah it was very deliberate uh Part part of that was um, honestly, it was a bit of a fuck you to um, to Japan. Honestly, uh, I'd been living in Japan for for some time then, and I'd spoken about 
dog meat as a dish with with students you know in a previous life I was uh, an Aikaiwa teacher here and um uh yeah look it was really just a mid-digit like hey I went to Korea and I ate your wonchan <laughs> but um you probably broke a few heads with that line did you yeah, tell students a, when you came back yeah there are a few uh quivering um uh housewives in the corner <laughs> Yeah, I, I wouldn't eat it again though. Have you? You've never eaten dog? No, I. I don't think I could either. Um, a lot of the listeners would probably be upset to know that I have tried whale when I was an exchange student twenty years ago. Yeah, my host family thought it would be a good cultural experience to serve me whale for dinner, and yeah, I, I wasn't too impressed with it. Um, and I don't think I'd seek it out. But I've tried whale. I've had horse meat in Japan. I've had, I've had all the stuff that, you know, people tend to freak out about fugu, blowfish, you know, natto. Mm. Um, natto didn't really bother me at all, but, uh, do any of those foods, the Japanese foods that you commonly encounter here, do any of them rub you the wrong way? Uh, natto does definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, just the smell. I can't do that. Uni as well. Um, not that I've ever eaten it, but it, the texture um, certainly has the yeah. look of uh, a fresh, uh, freshly filled diaper. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I tried it at like one of the 100 yen shops like uh, um, Sushiro or Genki Zushi and yeah. it really tasted horrible. And then I happened to be out on a uh, like a road trip uh, with a Japanese uh senpai friend of mine and he took me to this place in um in uh niigata on the on the coast where you know there's like 500 yen a plate and up so like a more upscale sushi joint and he asked me if i wanted to try it and i said no that i had tried it uh and it i didn't like it and he said where did you try it and i told him that i tried it at one of those 100 yen places and he's like no 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 no. it's it's completely different try try this so he ordered it up and I tried it and I actually liked it. It was remarkably different. So I think they're, I don't know, if, I wouldn't recommend trying that at the 100 yen per plate sushi shops. But if you get a chance to to try the, you know, 500, 1000 yen plates, it's yeah, pretty well, good. You, actually. you know why that is. It's because if you're eating uni at a at sushi row or something like that, you're not actually eating uni. That's just something else slapped together with uni flavoring. Probably it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, look, supposedly a lot of the uh, the fish that you eat at those places are not what they tell you they are. Um, yeah, if you're eating, you know, some some salmon or something, it, it may well be some cheaper fish that they've just put some pink dye in. Um, yeah, gosh, I haven't heard that, but I've heard that the um, the ones that are like um, ground up, so um, negitoro, for example. I've heard might be cut with something else so that it's cut not actually. Something, yeah. It's like a drug yeah. dealers come in and cut it with some. <laughs> right, I don't know, right. some but the ones that they've... are like full, like legit slices of something. Uh, I wouldn't think, I think that'd be hard to pass off on a, on a Japanese person. Hard. Yeah, they would be hard, but you'd be surprised. Um, like I, I don't know this for a fact or anything, but um, supposedly they can create, uh fake eggs um you know oh, nama, nama yeah. tamago that basically yeah you know like in a 7-eleven bento or something right 
it looks yeah there was an article in the news about that exactly like an egg but they can make it for you know a a quarter of or a tenth of the price of a real egg um ta-da so if they can do that because an egg that's that's quite a work of art really that's an achievement. It is. <laughs> <laughs> That's laboratory genius. And if they yeah. if they can do that, look, I don't I don't have any doubt that they can make a really nice piece of um like chutoro maguro from I don't know whatever some really shitty cheap piece of fish is. Um, and supposedly that's exactly what it is, some cheap shitty piece of fish that they've um they've dressed up um to make it look far more palatable than it really is. That's um, crazy, man. Yeah. I don't really go to shops like that anymore. Um, it's, yeah. I wouldn't, yeah. It's not because I'm a prude. It's more because, yeah, my wife is quite the health nut and anything, um, yeah, anything uh, non-organic or with uh, chemicals or anything like that in it where, yeah, we're just, we steer clear of and that's that's mostly through her um i guess i just sit in the background and nod and smile and go yeah it's probably better for me Mm, whiskey (laughs) (laughs) so julian if i once i finish with this chicken coop project i'm thinking about making a pizza oven and then um my wife isn't fully on board yet but i'm thinking about raising crickets to make cricket flour so that I can cut it with like regular flour and then make cricket flour pizza. If I invited you over, would you eat a cricket flour pizza? Hell yes. <laughs> you would. Yeah, I'd give it You'd a go. You'd eat dog. It's a step up, I guess. Right? <laughs> That's right. That's some luxury shit. Look, if you've, um, <laughs> if you've gone to the trouble of building a pizza oven Planting and harvesting. Well, sorry, not you're not going to plant and harvest crickets. What am I talking about? I would about? if I could. <laughs> if you've gone the effort to gather all these crickets, and I don't, what's the process? How do you make cricket flour? You just grind them uh, you up. You got to dry them out and then grind them up. Yeah. All right. So if you've gone to effort that much effort, then it would be rude of me to decline. Exactly. Mm. Well, it's on, man. It's on. I've I've stated it publicly now because this is going to air, you know, for at least five people. So to be <laughs> accountable. Corona, it's on, Jeff. Let's do it. You can't. <laughs> All right, dude. I, uh, I want to, I've always wanted to kind of get off the grid. And when I married my wife and came out here in the countryside, I, by the way, I've been big on permaculture and I, I've talked about Bill Mollison and permaculture to you. And you, I don't, even though you're from Australia, I don't think you'd heard of him. He's I a pretty famous, know. yeah, pretty famous guy um, who developed a new philosophy of, of ecology and like how, you know, just how to live in the balance as it were. Always been a hero of mine. And he inspired a Japanese uh, organic farmer, Masanobu Fukuoka, who wrote, um, Wara Ippo no Kakume, which is the one straw revolution, which basically set off a kind of, um, which sparked, uh, I want to say, was was a was a major like founding spark in the uh, organic movement itself, actually. Um, great book. And um, I bought up some copies in English and Japanese. And then when I married my wife, I gave a copy to my father-in-law 
um, thinking, hoping that we could maybe try something out like his, he has a completely organic um, dry patty method of cultivating rice where he makes like seed balls and he broadcasts them by hand. And I, but the book's interesting. So I gave it to my, my wife's husband. Wait a minute. I'm my wife's husband. I gave it to my wife's father. <laughs> the vodka's kicking in. I gave it to my wife's father thinking that we could do something like that on our farm. And, you know, he read it and he's like, ah, Mizukashi. So we never implemented any of that stuff. But it's always been a desire of mine to get off the grid, to eat more organic and be more, you know, healthy. So crickets, you're going to be my test subject. Yeah, happy, happy to be your test subject, Jeff. Um, get that pizza oven. Like alongside the cricket flour uh, pizzas, we'll have some uh, some normal pizzas, of course, for the kids. Um, although, you know, there's no reason why we can't feed them cricket flour pizzas as well. Just don't tell them. That was my original idea was just to make the, the pizza oven, invite everybody over, feed them cricket pizzas. And then after they're all like licking their lips and saying how delicious <laughs> it was, then you drop the bomb and say that it was, you know, crickets that they've been eating. Which reminds me of like um, back when I used, I, I did Aikaiwa in a former life too. And um, I don't know if I've talked about this in the podcast, but like one, I go in there at like seven o'clock to teach an evening English class at the community center. And there was an old bachan that worked there as the caretaker and she'd see me come in and she'd always ask me how I was doing and whether or not I'd had dinner. Um, and you know, most of the time I'd say I didn't have time to, uh, have dinner. And, uh, one night she was cooking something up and it smelled amazing. And she asked me if I wanted to eat it. Cause I would go in there like 30 minutes, 40 minutes before my class to prep in the office. And I was like, yeah, I'd love some. So she like brings it over. And I, I gobbled up and I'm like, this is amazing. She's like, do you want some more? And I'm like, okay, sure. So I eat it up and then she's cooking up more. And she's like, do you want some more? And I'm like, I shouldn't, I really couldn't, but God damn, that's amazing. And she's like, no, go ahead, have some more, have some more. So like I ate another plate of it and like my gut is like distended at this point. I'm completely full, really happy. And then I ask her what it is and she's like, ah, I shouldn't tell you. And I was like, why? She's like, yeah, you don't you don't want to know. <laughs> I had to like pry it out of her. So it's the food that she gave me was called Shirako, which is translates to like white children. It's the raw or cooked sperm of codfish. So it's like oh. the sperm sack. She was like grilling it and feed it to me. Like I had a, I literally had a belly full of semen Ooh. when I found out. For the second time in your life. <laughs> for the second i'm no prude no uh it was just uh it was i was yeah i was a little bit taken aback at first but uh i was fine with it it was amazing it tasted absolutely amazing and you know she cooked it up on a grill so it didn't look any like if you google image search uh shirako you'll Mm. see the way they normally serve it is like raw and it looks like brains almost uh, yeah, and you just pour some soy sauce or something on it and eat it that way. But like she cooked it on the, you know, in a fry pan, so it had a very good Maillard reaction on it. Very nice taste. But anyway, I wanted to do, I wanted to reproduce that sense of shock and awe on the people that came <laughs> over to eat pizza with cricket. I've got flour. a feeling that 
cricket flower is not quite at the level of cod sperm. Um, anything, <laughs> anything to do with sperm, it's kind of it's kind of next level. Well, we could top the pizza with cod sperm too, and double down on it. <laughs> the cod sperm cricket flower pizza. How's that sound? Right. Oh, look. If you can do it, you can pull it off. Would you eat I'll it? I'll stand around knowingly and pretend to eat it and <laughs> giggle to myself as everyone yums down your sperm cricket flower pizzas. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. If you've had enough Caesars in you, you'd probably eat it, thankfully. You'd probably be happy <laughs> well, to have some of that. Look, there's always that, yeah. <laughs> After all that chlamydia juice, who knows what could happen? <laughs> That's right. Not the exact same sort of story, but it does remind me of a similar time when I was given something to eat, ate it, and then was uh, mortified's not the right word for it. Just just shocked that I've bitten into this thing. Um, uh, Valentine's Day, of course, in Japan, big day of the year. Um, teachers, this was in the former Aikaiwa life as well, and. You know, probably second, third year in Japan, something like that. I'd been, you know, I'm down with what Valentine's Day is. Students had given me uh, chocolate over the years. Like, yep, wonderful, lovely, nice. Now I have to give you something back on White Day. Thank you right. fucking so very much. Anyway, um, one of these uh, students, a, a young a young woman, I think it was, gave me this really awesome looking um, chocolate, it, white dark chocolate, kind of oh, it was in the shape of a ball or something. It was really weird looking, but geez, did it look good? And I I thanked her and all right, wonderful, took it home. All right, bit of dinner first. Okay, it's time to you know munch into this chocky that this girl's given me and ooh, unwrap it. Oh, that's looking delicious. Yep. This thing's the real deal. Ooh, here we go. Big bite into the sucker. Holy fuck. It's soap. <laughs> God damn it. Oh, and, of course, I spent the next, what, 30 minutes washing my damn mouth out. Wait, what was the Again, Soap. This thing was soap. It was oh, a ball of soap. soap. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, like, again... Japanese laboratory genius. This thing <laughs> looked the goods. Uh, if I'd been a bit smarter, I probably would have had a bit of a whiff before I just stuffed it straight into my gob. But there wasn't time to have a smell. It just looked so good. I'm just shoving that in my mouth. And, oh, yeah, boy, was I embarrassed. It was really fortunate that it was me home by myself alone. Otherwise, yeah, I would have just died of embarrassment. And going back to um, back to the school, the next time I saw that student, I I just couldn't face up to it. I said, "Yeah, thanks for the soap. That was good." <laughs> you should have said, "Thanks for the choco." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was too embarrassed. Yeah, it was just dumb. But yeah, again, just foiled by Japanese ingenuity in the laboratory. <laughs> That reminds me of when I was a kid, if, if I would uh, cuss or something, my mother would uh, put soap in my mouth. Did they do that in Australia? Uh, the, um, the idea of it is there, but 
uh-huh. never happened to me or anyone I know, but um, yeah. it's certainly in stories and it's certainly a um, uh, something that parents will say to their kids as a threat, whether it actually happens or not. So you actually had it shoved in your mouth, did you? Uh, yeah, my, my, yeah, I've had that happen. My parents, my mother is a good little, good little Christian girl. Uh, so she's got that strict Christian mindset. Uh, I don't think my dad gave a shit. He would cuss here and there around the house. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I had that happen when I was a kid. Mm. I'm a bit older than you though. Well, not too much actually. About the same. You've got a year or two, (laughs) a couple of years on me. But yeah, I'll let you have that. You are older than me, Jeff. They were different times, Julian. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The uh, the mid to late 70s and the late 70s to be born in. Yeah. Exactly. Different times. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when, when do you identify with as your, I guess, uh, coming of age? When, when do you feel is your decade? My, de- my decade? I never yeah, really had me, my for decade. For me, it's the 90s. The Definitely 90s. the 90s. Yeah. yeah. So that's when I, I, I I turned 18 in the late 90s and um, went most of all of my high school years were um were in the 90s. But yeah, just just most of my real growing up was in the 90s. So that's when I really kind of that's the decade I feel is mine. Are you the same or is it the 80s? Well, I mean, the 90s were huge for me. I graduated from high school in 94, but like. I feel like most of my growing up was done and is still being done in Japan. <laughs> process. <laughs> yeah, well, look, I agree totally. Um, I honestly didn't feel like I was an adult until until having kids. Uh, yeah. So that was my entire first life in Japan. I was still a child, honestly. So I left Japan in 2008 I was 29. How many years had you been here? I, I was here six years that time. So, yeah, from 23 to 29. And um, that was your yeah, Eikaiwa session? The, those yeah, years? yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so, I, I was just a child through all of that, honestly. Um, and it wasn't until, yeah, the birth of my first daughter that it's like, oh, hang on. It's like an epiphany. Oh, hang on. I am an adult. Oh, how It's that pretty happen? big, isn't it? It changes everything, yeah. having kids, you know? Yeah, it certainly does. Did you meet your wife uh, during that first stint here in Japan or was it later? No, it was during the first stint, yeah. It was in my second year. So I would have only still been 24 when I met her. So yeah, we've been together for quite a while. Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah. Um. Yeah, how about you? Where, like you, you came here really early on, didn't you? You would have been about the same age as me. As me. Yeah, I came here when I was twenty-four. Um, I uh, I did a year in Tokyo, and then uh, then I came out here to the countryside and did two years. Uh, then I went back. I was back for maybe eleven months. And um, got just when I thought I was out, they <laughs> brought me back. <laughs> they, pulled, they pulled me right back in. I literally received a call that, that said, "Hey, do you want to come back?" Um, uh, so I came back. I worked at the same like as an ALT in the countryside, and um, 
Yeah. So really between 2000 and now, 2020, uh, mm. I've only really been back in the States. I mean, the longest amount of time was probably like 11 months in 2003. Um, and other than that, it's just been going back for like the occasional week or two, whether work-related or, um, you know, for pleasure. So, yeah, more Nihonjin than uh, American now, perhaps. I, I don't know. I'm, I mean, <clears throat> I, do, I definitely don't feel Japanese when I'm here in Japan. I definitely feel like a foreigner when I'm in Japan. But then when I go back to the States... I definitely don't feel like an American. Um, so I don't, I'm like a man without a country. I don't feel like I belong in any particular Lim- place. Limbo gene. Limbo gene. Chew yeah. gene or something. <laughs> um, or maybe I'm just the, the universal guy gene. You know, I'm a guy gene no matter where I go. Uh, yeah, I'd imagine there's plenty of guys, girls living in Japan, guy gene that probably feel the same. You know, Do once you feel that way? I don't know. I was back in Australia for 10 years. Um, right. But when I went back to Australia after the six years here, yes, I definitely felt a little uh, out of place for the first little while. But that that soon dissipated and, uh, you know, I got back into the, the groove that is being an Australian. And, of course, 10 years there, you know, working again and bringing the kids up, having them go to school. Uh, so you very much got back into the groove of being Australian. And then when did you and your wife and children come back to to Japan? Uh, so the start of last year, start of 2019. 2019. Um, so you're just like a, you're like a fresh newbie again. But when I, I am, in a way. Yeah. And when, so when I asked you, where, like, where would you rather be? Where would you rather live long term in Japan or uh, in Australia? And you seemed pretty adamant that you didn't want to go back to to Australia. Is that is that how is that, has that changed? Not in the last uh, couple of weeks since we discussed that. No, no. Um, it's been no, a couple I, months. I really like <laughs> time flies when you're in isolation, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. When you're in quarantine, it feels like a day. Yeah, since I was over <laughs> at your right. house and we were drinking whiskeys, because nothing has happened since then. We've been, been right. locked down, <laughs> but like it's been probably like a month or two. You know, that would have been at the start of March, so it's been two months now. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's flown by. But yeah, look, um, I'm very happy here. Uh, if if I was living down in Tokyo or Kanagawa, I used to live in Kanagawa down down on the beach there in um in Hiratsuka. Uh I don't think I would be quite as um definitive on my desire to stay here. It's it's yeah, look you've lived in Tokyo. Um yeah. What there's a big difference living down in the city here in Japan and living, you know, up in the mountains where we are and Yeah. Part of me wanting to stay here is more about the countryside. So, living, you know, living amongst beauty that is the mountains here. And if if there was the same sort of beauty back in Australia, which there is, but it's few and far between because it's mostly a, a land of shitty little 
Pimple Hills. Um, uh, but that that's really the main draw card here. Um, just the surroundings. Uh, and of course, you can find similar surroundings in Australia, but uh, oh, there's just something about here. It might be the cheap whiskey as well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of Australians come here to to snowboard, so I know <clears throat> there must not be good snowboarding in Australia, right? No, it's um, it's pretty piss poor. Uh, there there are um, resorts there, but uh, you're looking at maximum like top to bottom elevations of around 200 meters or, or maybe a little bit more. So yeah, yeah they're, they're, it's pretty similar to a summer Nissan here. If you've ever been up the hill, the local um, Saku Komoro. Uh, I have, I wasn't too impressed with that one, but that's. No, it's that's, pretty small, but that's what yeah. you expect in Australia. They're, um, yeah. the, the Australian ones are a bit, broader so you've got more runs but in terms of top to bottom uh that's pretty much it yeah maybe two three hundred meters tops whereas um say whistler or somewhere in canada i don't know i've never been there but it's it's what over a thousand meters from from what i know top to bottom i haven't been so, to whistler either but it's huge you yeah know, it's yeah. um compared to japan it's i guess it would be like the difference between australia and, and japan right yeah, and then some. Like Japan has some damn big resorts, and I've been like back in the previous Aikaiwa life. I did a lot of snowboarding, and I went pretty much everywhere: Niseko, Hakuba, Yuzawa, you name it. Um, and there are some damn good ski resorts here. Yeah, um, you can you can definitely tell why Aussies pack their bags and get over here in droves every every um, what, Australian summer. Uh, they're over here. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. So you were in Aikai before, and now you're um, an air, you're like a air quality scientist. What can I'm you? An, yeah. So scientists m- may not be the right word. I am a scientist by university degree, um, but an air quality consultant is probably probably the better word for it. Um, you know, we don't, in terms of science, you know, we do a bit of it, but yeah, it's more just the consulting side of things and, um, you know, assisting, uh, assisting, uh, clients to, to ha- get approval for projects and that type of thing from an air quality perspective. So you're working remotely for an Australian firm, is that right? I am. Yeah. So when I was back in Australia, uh, long story short, when I packed up my bags in 2008 and went back to Australia, I went back to university for a couple of years, studied science again, graduated and picked up this job that I'm doing now immediately after graduating. So I've been in this company for um best part of 10 years now. Uh, but when we decided to come back to Japan, they um, uh, I requested, hey, look, can I work remotely from Japan for a little while. And they were, they were good enough to say, yeah, look, that's, that's okay. We can work around that temporarily. Um, so it, it's kind of a temporary arrangement um, at the moment. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm sitting in my office 
at the moment. Um, it's actually a, a walk-in wardrobe uh, furnished with a laptop and a large screen and among other things. Um, but yeah, like you, Jeff, I, I work at home and I couldn't be happier. It's, it's pretty amazing, very, isn't it? very easy transition through the um, quarantine isolation period. Yeah. Uh, read as no transition whatsoever. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> We're the lucky ones. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, how, I mean, your wife isn't originally from Nagano Prefecture. So what went into you guys choosing to come live out here? Is the air quality particularly good or something? Um, look, that's a, a nice little bonus. It is definitely better than down on the coast, but no, that had nothing to do with it. It was more that I'm, uh, we, we both wanted to change. She grew up in Kanagawa. That's where she's from. I'd lived there for six years. We know it. Uh, we just didn't really want to go back there. So we thought, all right, where can we go? That's different. Something that will give us some new scenery, new friends, New things to do. I think we get bored very, fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and I, through the snowboarding that I'd done pre, uh, a lot back in that previous life, I'd been through Karuizawa a lot on the Shinkansen going to Hakuba. Mm -hmm. And I knew of Asamayama. I'd seen it smoking as yeah. it does quite a few times going past it. I went, that's a beautiful mountain. And then uh, about, when would it have been? 2015, we, um, we came back to Japan for a, for a three-week holiday. And rather than staying in Kanagawa like we normally do, we rented a car and did a bit of a, um, a tour around the central part of Honshu. So we went from Kanagawa down through Shizuoka and Aichi and then up through Gifu. We went to you know, places like Takayama and Shirakawago. Mm -hmm. And then we went back over into Nagano via, um, right at the Kamikochi. That's the one. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, we stopped in at Kamikochi and then went back through Matsumoto and then. You can't even drive through there though, right? Don't you have to take a bus or something? Yeah. Yeah. You can drive. There's a road that comes over from Gifu, but you've got to park in a car park and then jump on a bus that'll take you actually up into the valley. It's gorgeous. Stunning though, isn't it? place. Absolutely amazing. If, uh, yeah. if you've never been there, yeah, it's probably the most spectacular scenery in all of Japan. And now would be the best time to go if you if you were able around. to, because there'd be bugger all tourists there. Um, when I went, it was just infested with tourists, myself included. Um, but anyway, <laughs> down through Matsumoto and then uh, from there we spent two nights in Karuizawa. We actually went to a soba restaurant that my wife had found. I can't remember where it was, but now that we live here. Kusabue? I've Sorry? No, no, it wasn't that. It was way out in the countryside. I've got a feeling that it was over near where you live somewhere. Huh. It, yeah, it was like way out in the countryside. And, um, we drove up this valley. It might have been in Nagawa or something like that. That's right near me. Yeah, yeah. So over that way. But I just remember driving through there, uh, seeing all the fields. You could see a Samayama. 
Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, this place is just stunning. Really, yeah. really lovely. It, it's, and then, it's very different, right, than the rest yeah, of Japan, yeah. I would say. Yeah, it's amazing. And then we spent two nights in Karuizawa. I really like Karuizawa. So when we thought about, all right, where can we live? All right, somewhere that's still not too far from Kanagawa so we can still see the in-laws, you know, fairly easily. We can go to Tokyo if we want, if we want to go and, um, you know, go out and have a drink there or whatever. So we thought, all right, Karuizawa, lovely place. Um, an hour on the Shinkansen from Tokyo, uh, beautiful mountain scenery. I know the place, I know the area, but hang on, it's full of rich Tokyoites and it gets right. really busy in the, the golden week and Obon or whatever. I and didn't then everything want shuts that. down at odd hours as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So I didn't want. I didn't want to live in that tourist sort of area. You know, we're trying to get away from people, as it were, yeah. by living in the countryside. It kind of defeats the purpose being there. So uh, we looked for a place that was near there, but just a little bit further away where we knew it would be, you know, locals only. Um, so we looked at Saku and the towns and cities that are around there, Komoro, uh, Miyota and Tommy, places like that. And um, uh, I mentioned before, my wife's really into the organic, healthy food, and she started researching uh, schools here. Our two daughters were going to go to school here. That was part of the reason for moving back to Japan. So she looked at all the schools here. What sort of um, what sort of kyushoku they? they serve to their their kids yeah. and Komoro had basically the best of the bunch. So, Hey, thought, I beg right. to differ. You didn't try Tateshina's Kyushu. Sorry, Tateshina didn't even register. I, I wasn't aware that that was a place at the time. Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> um, in hindsight, I I've seen photos of your place and look, it's amazing. I would love to live out there. But uh, at the time, yeah, we only really looked around here. But Komoro was the best of the bunch and we thought, yep, that's our town. Looks great. So, yeah, yeah it was it was a combination of me um, loving the countryside here, but also the summers. So it's not humid in summer here. I grew up in a s- subtropical city, Brisbane. I just... I just can't stand long summers anymore. So the short, sharp, crisp summers of Nagano are just perfect. So that was another big reason. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, so, yeah, Komoro doesn't have Kyushoku c- center, right? You know, the like Saku City, they have this center. Yeah, that, that's like, right. Makes their they have lunch. it in the, um, in the school itself. So you... I mean, I've actually worked there for a little while, short term, to cover a guy that that left, and I was really surprised at how how much of a quality hit uh, you you take by having your lunch supplied by the, the Kyushoku Center. It's like it's first of all, it's not even hot when you get it. Mm. It's like so I don't know. I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And um, but I, I yeah, if they can. Make you know, like if they have their own kitchen in the back of the school, and you get the mother because it's usually mothers, right, from the community that they hire on to make the school lunch. It's usually amazing, and I always had nothing but the best experience in Tateshina as well. Like they, um, 
a lot of the ALTs that worked out here couldn't really handle the natto mixed with um, little tiny fish, you know, in whole. I loved it. I absolutely love that stuff. So I just gobbled that up. But um, well, yeah. they should us eh? Yeah. No, I'd I'd be on the side of those ALTs. Unfortunately, it's not. Yeah, not I think it was Shirasu, actually. I'm not, I'm not I'm not sure, but yeah, I mean that Shirasu is pretty much the only one that's like super little, right? It's soft. Um, but actually, no, there's a whole bunch of like little tiny fish in this surf, right? There's, yeah, there's an unlimited variety of small whole fish that you can eat in Japan. But I think it was Shirasu. Uh, yeah. So you wouldn't eat that stuff then, though. But you're okay with your kids eating it in Kyushoku? Oh yeah, look, I know that it's it's good for them, and they'll eat it. Um, plenty yeah. of calcium in that. They can um, they can yum that up all they like, and they eat it at home. Um, it's just yeah, it's just not to my taste at all. Um, yeah, yeah. Nagano yeah, has my uh... kids don't drink whiskey, to, so each to <laughs> their own, eh? Yeah, Nagano has a an interesting food culture, like of its own like so inago which i i think is just like um grasshoppers right grasshoppers yeah fried up in sugar Meaning and much. sugar and soy really sauce sweet. right yeah. and then put on rice well, i've right? never actually had it but um my I wife, either, but um, it looks good yeah my wife's mother's family are from nagano so there is some vague connection to the prefecture uh, yeah. They're from the other side of Yatsugatake, though. They're from um, Haramura over there. Yatsugatake is also another amazingly beautiful region if you're looking for you know, other possible places to live. I'm impressed with this whole area. Oh, yeah, it certainly is. Look, I can, I can see Yatsugatake from my bedroom window, and that in itself is a reason never to move from where we live. <laughs> Yeah, it's just stunning. Have you ever Absolutely climbed any of those? Uh, I've been up Tengu Dake only. Um, oh, nice! My friend Dave and I camped on top of that because uh, after like eight hours of just straight up hiking, we didn't have the energy to like to go down to the campsite, and it was it was already kind of getting dark. So we mm. pitched tent on the top of that and slept on the top of it. <laughs> it was so fucking cold. It was, oh, he bet, was yeah. He's got like a really low body percentage fast and he didn't have a winter bag. So he's just shivering the whole night. You know, I thought he may have gotten hypothermia. Well, you didn't share body heat? No. <laughs> Get in no. my bag with me, mate. Come on. Come on in, Dave. <laughs> Reach around. Warm over here. <laughs> Be a good bloke and rub my legs. Oh, yeah. Bit higher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Yatsugatake, it's good. I've you know, I've only been here a year, so I've been up there maybe maybe five, five times. Um five or six times, something That's like quite that. A bit. And I'm hoping I'm hoping to go up a little bit more. But I, only one time was a serious hike up to um Tengudake. All the others have been, you know, kind of kind of a three or four hour sort of walk or something like that. Yeah, um, Tengu's right next to Akadake, so that's a great you can oh, pivot a, from there. It's still a fair way from there. Um, you can you can certainly see Akadake from there, but it's um oh, not not sure how many hours walk it would be from Tengu. But ah, we did it. The following morning, we woke up, we went up Akadake, then down the other side. So it's doable. Right, okay. Yeah, 
it was crowded is is all hell up there though i there was a wait because like there's this long line to, i mean mountain climbing has become hugely popular in japan over the last five to ten years i was just watching on tv a little earlier today uh, during my lunch break they have the uh the great travas show which documents uh, a guy climbing like he did all the 100 famous peaks then he did the 200 famous peaks then he did the 300 famous peaks and it just follows him around japan as he just skates up and down these mountains and the show they had on on tv today was highlighting the cameraman that always goes with him filming that and they were talking this is, i mean it's almost more impressive to be the cameraman than to be the guy that who's the subject of the show but um uh, yeah, it's very popular. And, and, uh, because of that show and, and all the books that are available in the bookshops these days, when you go and you look at like mountaineering books in bookstores in Japan, all the summits are crowded these days. So it was like a two hour wait at the top of Akadake in this line. Uh, and my friend and I decided to just, uh, free climb. We just bouldered up around this, like, you know, <laughs> off the beaten track people were looking at us like we were fucking mad like oh my god mm. you're gonna die but uh gaijin. we just bouldered yeah. up and gaijin uh, doing as gaijin does yeah i mean looking back on it i probably wouldn't do it again because it, it almost appears as though we were cutting so to speak but uh it was a completely different route we took a completely off the beaten track route i don't know i don't know i mean ethically i'm not sure where to stand on that one <laughs> <laughs> you got up and you got back safely that's uh that's the crux of it it's yeah. not everest <laughs> no no i wasn't aware that there was a 200 and 300 famous mountains list the the 100 famous fountain, uh mountains is of course famous in itself but yeah. i wasn't aware that they'd gone beyond that yeah they have so that the original 100 famous uh mountain list i don't even think it was like very well thought out i think um about a hundred years ago there was a um a foreigner who came over here that did some mountaineering and he just put together a list and that became the 100 famous mountains uh probably happened to be the the hundred that he um that he climbed himself was it yeah 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 basically mm. yeah so um random yeah yeah, I, I mean, as far as like good lists of great mountains are concerned, there's it might be possible to put together a better list of mountains. But yeah, it's still to this day, um, it, it stands true. And, and there is also the like the 200 and 300 famous peaks. So yeah, if you is, go is that to where it ends, 300, has I anyone think, ever gone to 500? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, Nagano could probably hit that number. There's so many mountains out here. There but yeah. Um, the most I've ever heard is uh, is three hundred. Yeah, three hundred. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever thought you you might have a crack at say the hundred famous mountains? Yeah, I bought the poster. So if you go on to Amazon.co.jp and you type in Hyakumezan Posta yep. or something like that, there's um there's a legit or maybe it was from a website actually. Maybe it was directly from like there's a, a committee or something. Yeah, it's on my wall. I got like the the list of all the hundred, and I'm like marking them off. I don't add the date or everything. You know, like they like what date you went up. How was the weather? They've got all these boxes to check. I, I haven't done that, but ideally, before I leave this realm, I would like to finish all one hundred. Right. How many are you up to? Me? Uh 
I think I'm around 20, actually. It, okay. The yeah, last, that's not too bad. Yeah. I mean, well, having kids makes it really hard. Little mm. kids, you know? Um, when my kids were young, I mean, they're still young, but like um, they couldn't even handle like me being out for a night. You know, it would really bother them that I'd like go sleep on a mountain or something. So um, this is a critical time in their development. And you don't have these years for very long, you know, the, in the blink of an eye, suddenly they're teenagers who don't want to be in the same room as you. So uh, I try to spend as much time as I can with my kids now before that day comes. Well, the trick will be that as they get a little bigger and those legs get a little bit more powerful is to drag them up those hundred mountains together. Yeah, I don't even have to. Sakura loves climbing and she's been talking about it quite a bit already. So when she was four, I took her up Eboshidake, which is kind of over by where you live, actually, up up that, you know, one of those peaks that are on the line with Asama, you know, right. there's a... There's Kurofuyama and then a few others, and Eboshi is down the list. Um, she climbed that when she was four. She made it all the way to the top, no problem. And then we had a bunch of rice balls at the top, and it just knocked her the fuck out. She just like passed out, like, w- would not wake up. And so I slung her over my shoulder, and I carried her all the way down the mountain, which was really grueling, actually. She never even woke up. <laughs> like, I'm like... I'm in boots, you know, just like bouncing around, like all the way down the mountain. She never woke up. So that was when she was four. And then when she was five, we did Kurofu. We've done Tateshina Mountain together. I mean, these are all sort of middling peaks, so to speak. These are not like the big ones, like, you know, approaching 3,000 meters or anything. But last year I climbed um, Tsubakuro uh, with a close friend um, in the Alps. It was fucking gorgeous, by the way. And mm, I thought I about bringing her. I think she could have done it strength-wise, but there's all sorts of things to consider, like what if she gets hurt or, you know, being in the, t- the tent. I don't know, that kind of stuff. What if daddy gets hurt? It's probably a, yeah, more yeah. of a, a no, problem. No, legitimately. That was one of the things that I thought about. So um, if I was going with my wife, and this year we're definitely planning on doing, um, hey, your kids are bigger. We should all go up and and do something together. We could maybe do, I don't know. My girls have been up Kurofuyama. Um, Whether they want to go again or not is probably the question. They didn't enjoy it? Fully into, oh, yeah, look, they enjoyed it. But uh, yeah, it'd take a fair bit of, a fair bit of persuasion to get them up there again. Although that said, I reckon if Sakura-chan was going, yeah. then that's probably persuasion in itself. Motivation enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they wouldn't go up just with me, I don't think. But if, yeah, if they had a buddy to go up with, uh, I reckon, I reckon they'd be bang up. We should choose something a little bit more challenging than Kurofu, but not so challenging that it destroys them, you know? Go to the top, mate. Fujisan. Done. I did it. I did it uh, a little earlier in the year, actually. It was, uh, that was crazy. Hey, this year? Uh, sorry. Last year, last summer. Okay. Yeah. Right. In the summer. Yeah. If you're yeah. up there in winter, then yeah, you're, uh, you're doing pretty well. Yeah. I went up there with, um, couple close friends. Uh, they were really slow. So I just kind of left them behind. <laughs> 
<laughs> and blasted up. Met him again at the top, and then uh, and then after we saw the sunrise, we started going down, and um, I I kind of got a really good pace going. And I was down off the mountain in an hour and a half. If you if you kind of trot a little bit, because it's they have like you go down like a road on the backside. They like made a road that zigzags down the mountain on the backside. And it's all gravel, kind of deep gravel. So it's kind of hard to walk. But if you kind of trot a little bit, digging your heels in, you can just half run all the way down the mountain, kind of like a, a slow kind of jogging pace. Yeah, I remember doing something similar. Is that is that on the um, uh, Fuji Yoshida side, the um, Yamanashi side, is it? So I think Subaru was the line that we went, that we took. Which one, sorry? Subaru, I think. Oh yeah, I can't remember honestly. I, can't I, I went up the um, I went up the southern side through Shizuoka, um, up and down the same way, of course. Uh, and it, yeah, it's kind of zigzaggy a bit, but it's certainly not a road. It's more just a trail that goes up there. And um, yeah, my knees just—they almost your fell knees off my were legs. laughing, as they say in they, Japanese. <laughs> they were indeed. <laughs> oh, they were laughing at me. They were hysterics. <laughs> they were mocking and, um, you. <laughs> yeah, we. I went up there with my twin brother, actually, my twin brother and his um his wife, and yeah, we we didn't were, do so well. Were we, his we knees did, laughing like, at him too? Yeah, yeah, they were laughing yeah. at all of us. I forgot that you have another version of yourself in this world. That's kind there of is weird. Another isn't version it? of me. It's yeah. kind of like a copy. There's a, a carbon copy. There's a massively bearded version of me. Is are you guys fraternal or never actually uh, tested or anything? But my mum always assumed that we we're identical. Yeah, yeah. So we we do look pretty damn similar. We've so diverged just a like little you, bit. Only a beard. He's like, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna distinguish myself from Julian. Yeah, well, there are other differences, but um, some people who don't know us well have no idea. They can't tell that. Well, sorry, they couldn't tell us apart until he grew himself a um a woodcutter's beard, and once he'd done that, then yeah, it becomes easy. But do you guys ever do any of that twin stuff, like end end each other's sentences, finish each other's sentences, or? Or wake up in the middle of the night and decide to call each other on the phone? No, we we were the boring twins. No. <laughs> we we didn't even trick teachers in school. We I don't think we liked each other that much. We'd we're just trying as hard as possible to be different. Um, but not succeeding very well. <laughs> um, so no, we, we never really did the whole yeah, twins play tricks on other people thing, unfortunately. In See, hindsight, I don't even I have a twin, and I used to play trick When I was a, an ALT, I used to tell the students at school, I've got four brothers, Jeff, Joff, Joff, Chief, and Joof, all five of us. And, <laughs> and I photoshopped a picture of myself with different lengths of facial hair and different shirts. And I would make jokes about how, um, yeah, I'd invite him over to Japan sometimes and, get, you know, take a take a week off and Juf would come in and then I'd grow out a beard and print out. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to keep yourself entertained. <laughs> uh, as an ALT in the countryside? Yeah. 
Yeah. That's um, exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. I, I got to tell you, switching from being an ALT to like actually working in a company and being a responsible adult was almost as big as the transition, like becoming a parent. It was, it was huge. Oh, it certainly is. Um, well, I've never been an ALT, but yeah, uh, going from a Kiowa back into back to Australia and and you know doing things properly again back there, like, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a, a difficult transition. Um, you know, it's just different, but yeah, it's definitely very very different. Of course, and part of the reason for um, leaving Japan originally, honestly, just uh, just got into that rut and felt yep i'm slowly digging my own hole there's only one way out back home yeah and then you know there's those people that are alts for life or or a kaiwa you know a kaiwa teachers for life in japan personally i i can't imagine doing that for my entire no. life no, look, I couldn't either. But look, everyone's different, and some people enjoy doing that sort of thing. I've, I've, no, one of no, the guys, it's true. Yeah, yeah. One of the guys, he's not an ALT anymore, but um, oh, sorry, an Aikaiwa teacher anymore. But one of the guys I um worked with back in the the Aikaiwa days, he's still teaching English. Actually, quite a few of them are, and um, they all seem to be pretty happy. But it was never for me. I'm happy if the teacher's happy. If they're into it and they're engaged and they give it their best, you know what I mean? Then yeah. that's great. If if but you can tell that there are those people who like hate the gig. Mm. They're not satisfied, but they just put up with their lot, so to speak, and then just ride it out. And I don't know, something Yeah, that was me. If I'd stayed in there for for longer. Well, yeah, it had already come to that point. There was no staying in any longer for me. It was quite obvious that I had to get out. But um, yeah, look, everyone's different, and yeah, you know, some people work their lives. I imagine in Seven Eleven or something like that, and they put up with it. No, I'm not going to begrudge. Yeah, that. Nah, look, everyone, everyone's different, and they they choose to to go down their own path. So I can respect that. I can respect that. For me, it's it's what bothers me is when people clearly are jaded as fuck and hate their job, mm. but then just stick with it uh, to to remain in Japan because that's for whatever reason they you know what I mean. I don't know that I can't understand, but no, yeah, I mean it's um, if you're happy in what you're doing and you and you find value and meaning in that. I mean, certainly a good teacher can have a huge impact on a student's life and can alter the course of that student's life you know, for, for the better, or for the worse. So I think, um, it's a pr profoundly important job. Even being an ALT or an Aikawa teacher could be profoundly important, but, um, it's always weird to see people who don't seem to enjoy it, stick with it for their entire life. Yeah. Look, and that's probably partly due to, um, not having any other familiarity options with, with your situation and, you know, change can be difficult. Um, Trying to trying to force that change from yourself can be difficult, you know. Um, yeah. Like I, I won't pretend that going back to Australia for me was easy. It was quite daunting at first, honestly. Six years out of the country and going back without a job, um, wondering, all right, what am I going to do? Um, 
going back to university was vaguely on the cards, but it wasn't a given as I moved back. It only became a given as I um like I couldn't find a job, honestly, in the first first couple of months back. So I thought, stuff it, I am gonna go back to uni and do this properly. Um Yeah. Yeah, and it was daunting, you know. It's not it's not easy to pack up and, and go somewhere new at the best of times. No. Um but uh yeah, my wife and I, Kayo and I, we've um we've kind of become used to uh to change. We've moved quite a bit <laughs> recently, so um this would probably be the uh I think I counted it the other day in my life, something like the twenty twenty second or twenty third house I've lived in. Something like that. Wow. Um, that's a lot. Yeah, we've moved around. Speaking of changes, Japan has changed a lot since you and I first came here. When I was a a student in 2000, I remember somebody coming up to me and saying, uh, hey, magic mushrooms are no longer legal anymore in Japan and being disappointed about that. I had no idea that they were legal prior to that. So apparently before 2000, you could buy magic mushrooms on the streets uh, in Tokyo. Um, and you and I once talked about, uh, head shops and those also were legal, but I don't know what the status of those are now, but you had an interesting story involving (laughs) a trip to the head shop. (laughs) Yeah. Look, I don't know where head shops ended up and my, uh, very short flirtation with head shops lasted (laughs) A single, a single trip. So I'm far from an expert on these things, but um, yeah, it was it was quite an interesting um little encounter. Um, so probably 2004, I reckon it was, just after I'd met my wife, second year in Japan. Um, another Aussie mate of mine uh, mentioned of these head shops, and we were going out to Shibuya for to to hit some nightclubs we didn't do it very often but we we were going this once and um he said before we go let's hit up this head shop uh, from memory it was in yokohama somewhere and um went along and went inside this shop it, it seemed pretty legit they um they had these little pills and other sort of stuff under a glass counter and um what else did they sell i can't even remember but Oh, even like magazines or other other weird, I don't know. There might have been porn or something in there for all I can remember. But anyway, we'll focus on this little cabinet. Everything looked fairly legit. Things had funky little names from memory. Um, one of them was uh, Love Love Drug, or I can't remember the name of it, but it was the shape of a heart. So I'll right, well, try that. That might be useful. You never know. And uh, my mate, I think whether he'd actually tried something from there before or not, he may have. He he picked this other one, and he said, "All right, we'll we'll share that. We'll just we'll just chop that one in half and and have a go of that together, and we'll see where we end up." Yeah, all right, that'll do. Fair enough. Um, so that that evening we we met at the uh the local train station fujisawa train station which was kind of the the local hub where we used to meet uh 
We had a couple of beers just outside the train station just to get into the mood. It was me, my mate. There was a, probably another three or four uh, friends. All of us Aikai were teachers. Then, shit, I can't even remember if my wife came that night. I don't think she did. There was a couple of other girls, I think mostly Gaijin as well. So fair, fair group of us, maybe 10 of us, something like that. And once we'd had a few beers, my mate said, all right, it's time. Let's um, let's crack this little doozy open and have a bit of a go. All right, let's do it. Now, at that stage, you know, I'd, I'd been there, done that with a whole bunch of recreational drugs. We won't go into that, but, you know, I <laughs> been there, done that, you know, kind of knew what I was doing, I thought anyway. <laughs> so we, all right, we'll have half of that each swallow it down with a bit of water all right all right let's wait see what happens this thing starts kicking in we both sort of look at each other and like holy fuck what the hell have we just had this the intensity of the rush was just incredible we're just holy shit we're going down a rabbit hole here man and we both look at each other we we both know (laughs) What have we done? You're like, we're fucked. <laughs> we're fucked. We got on the train. It's an hour into Tokyo from Fujisawa. We spent an hour. It was pretty empty, actually, the old Tokaido-san. For whatever reason, I guess it was a Sunday night or something. It was fairly empty, luckily for us. And we just sat there and just sort of munted at each other like, nah, how you doing, dude? Oh, fucking, oh, I'm fucked. <laughs> we were just totally wasted. And yeah, the whole way into Tokyo, it, it went just, I've clicked my fingers there. It went in an absolute flash. You know, before, we, before we knew it, we were, we were getting off the, off the train at Tokyo station or wherever it was. Then we went to get on a subway. All of that's just a blur. And then suddenly it's, it's ended and I've just come out of it and gone, geez, what the fuck just happened? Holy (laughs) shit. And I think my mate must've come out of it at at around the same time. And again, we've just looked at each other knowingly, just like, whoa, that really should not be legal. (laughs) It was Like I said, there's a bit of experience there with recreational drugs, and I'd say that was the most intense rush with feelings of this better not get any stronger. If it does, I'm panicking sort of level. Uh, And I remember turning around on the train and saying to my mate, holy fuck, man, I was so smashed. That's the most smashed I've ever been in my life. I remember turning around and there was this um, uh, gaijin standing right behind me just looking at me with this tut, 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 you you dickhead look on his face. And it just, the shame of it, like, you know, I felt like a some idiot teenager it just dragged me way out of the high that I'd been on and suddenly I'm just wide awake, just, oh, oh. Jeez, all right, that was shit. <laughs> but amazing at the same time. They've got to close down those head shops. That's all I could think. 
it was yeah it was just absolute absolutely wild um and then we went out i think probably an hour or two we've kind of just come down from that and come back to our senses and calmed down a little bit and yeah then we may or may not have popped an e and went to a nightclub <laughs> i can't remember the rest of the night <laughs> I just did a Google search and it looks like there's still head shops in Tokyo, but I don't know if if they're selling. I mean, back in the day, I think what they they were like mimics of or synthetic versions of of marijuana was like what they were going for, but, you know, purely synthetic. I don't know if they still sell that kind of stuff. Like, uh, you know, most of it is like probably vape related these days, which could be CBD oil or, or nicotine. But, um, I recall having a a friend who would go into Tokyo with the express purpose of buying up packets of the, of this stuff. Um, uh, I forgot the name of it, uh, the synthetic weed. Um, but anyway, he'd buy packets of that and and I noticed his behavior just changed completely. Uh, he would do weird stuff. Like, you know, you'd go to the mall and meet him at the mall and he would like, buy uh strawberries downstairs at the at the produce section go into the bathroom wash them in the sink of the mall bathroom and then take them up to the lingerie section and hand them out to the beautiful girls in the lingerie section <laughs> right as you do <laughs> as you do right you know like or um go into your f- uh, fridge or freezer and pull out a you know like when you're hanging out drinking beers together uh, on a on a friday or something and grab a pizza out of your, your freezer without asking and then um, cook it up after saying he's just going to go to the bathroom and then cook it up and cover it with like jam and peanut butter, like a fucking mm. pepperoni pizza. And then just come in <laughs> like eating it and like, Hey, you want some of this? Just like really weird behavior um, for about a year. And there's just a random string of incidents like that. Um, uh, which yeah, more or less went away when he stopped smoking it. Uh, Cause I, 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 as I recall, they stopped selling it more or less um, a, a number of years back, maybe, I don't know, four yeah, or five. From my experience, it's not the sort of thing you want to be giving out to the, well, it's not really the general public, <laughs> but um, no, yeah. but you know, the image that we have of that, which is um, I think you and I probably have a similar, I like the thought that it's like dangerous and it shouldn't be mm. available. That, that idea is like the common idea that Japanese people have towards non-synthetic weed. And so when yeah, they hear just, about Canada legalizing weed or where I come from, Oregon legalizing weed, and you talk about that, people are like, Oh, and they like cover their mouths and they think, Oh, just a bunch of drug addicts over there that are, you know, crazy, insane drug addled maniacs. Um, which is just not the case at all. But uh, that's the perception anyway in Japan. Now, some of those people probably should take a bit of a trip to a a head shop and have a look in their own backyard. (laughs) Buy some strawberries maybe. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I was just shocked. I couldn't believe that they would sell something that potent over Mm -hmm. the counter that easily. Yeah, um, I, I never went back. Um, and like I said, you know, I'd, I'd had some recreational drugs before, and um, that never frightened me. Um, 
but this one just like oh because you you've got no idea what they put in them yeah what what's yeah. even in this thing wouldn't have a clue yeah um and with that sort of rush where you're wishing praying that it doesn't get any stronger because yeah. you know that your life's going to be in danger should it do so yeah that shouldn't be just sold willy-nilly in some shop in yokohama it's just crazy and look maybe they don't anymore i wouldn't have a clue i don't know anything about them beyond that singular experience so um perhaps they've shut them all down well no you said they still have them going they still have them but i i I don't think it's uh the synthetic weed that they're selling i think it's like um cbd oils or nicotine oils mostly but they're still selling you know pipes and rolling papers and stuff so that people who have a hankering for illegal substances can probably you know get their habit on i you know i i just hope that the day comes that japan kind of takes the route of of canada or or my home state oregon and legalizes weed so that japanese people will chill out a little bit and not die from overwork in the <laughs> There's an appetite for it here among some of the populace. I've known guys, Japanese guys here who who dig that shit. Um, The penalties are harsh, though. I would never fuck around with that in Japan. Well, yeah, that's the problem. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know if I should talk about this, but when I went back to the States a number of years ago with my wife, uh, we may have hypothetically acquired certain things and made them into cookies, you know? As you do. And con- consumed a bunch of those. And um, the following day, I, I may have hypothetically gotten incredibly high. And my friend may have called me and said, hey, do you want to go get tacos? And I may have said to my wife, I'm so blitzed, I can't drive. I think we should stay home. And she may have said, ah, you're good. Fuck it. And my mate may have said, oh, you're good. And we may <laughs> have hypothetically gotten into the car. And I may have driven my car. 25 miles per hour on the road feeling like it was light speed i out of my mind like just like driving you know 15 20 miles per, per hour like below the speed limit and we may have made it hypothetically to that taco place and but before we got there i'm talking to my wife and i and i may have hypothetically said i'm fucking wasted right now and you're not feeling anything and she may have hypothetically said no 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 except well the left side of my body's numb and it feels like there's a hook piercing my soul and pulling it down. Oh God. What did you give her? <laughs> so you, you had the good stuff. Hypothetically though, we <laughs> may have had some cookies that were baked up with a special herbal substance. And uh, it was a, hypothetically anyway, at that moment that I may have said, you're higher than a kite and you don't even know it. Uh, when the the whole the whole side of your body is numb, uh, I think it's a uh, it's a bit of a sign. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying that that did or didn't happen, but it would have been years ago had it happened, and it was yeah. funny is is all hell had it happened. Yeah, I remember, I remember driving along back in the day, high as a kite, and yeah, that familiar um what you just said, the hypothetical um yeah slow fast drive where you you're way under the limit, but it feels like you're careening around a <laughs> racetrack. Yeah. Star, Star Trek warp speed. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's like all you can see as well as the, um, the Star Wars style, um, 
yeah, hyper hyperspace hyperspace uh, <laughs> blur of stars as they go past, which is probably what it felt like when you were on that train heading into Tokyo that day. Oh, I think it was worse than that. <laughs> no, weed weeds, yeah, weeds a very different kettle of fish to what that was. But yeah, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Well, Julian, I got I got my daughter coming into the room, my wife coming in the room. The dog needs to go for a walk, and we've hit an, an hour and a half, so I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I just wanted to say thanks for joining the show. I had a good time, and I can't wait until we're out of quarantine and can enjoy some whiskey and some, uh, some cricket pizza together maybe. Yeah, look, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure, an absolute uh, pleasure. I'll double that up. Um, I can't wait for the next time we can – meet up in person as well uh, but there's no reason we can't do exactly this again sometime sometime in the near future it's been a, a lot of fun mate <laughs> ちょっと待って、ちょっと待って、ちょっと待って、ちょっと待って、ちょっと待って、ちょっと待って、ちょっと待って、ちょっと待って、ちょっと待って、ちょっと待って、ちょっと待って、ちょっと待って、ちょっ
そういう矢の音色子供たちの遊ぶ声は進む時代でまたサイレン100年で1世紀人の人生銀河系の因果固い結束力の友情でいこうぜ今日もぶっ飛んでる2016年頭で考えて見える答えでまた軌道修正よう夜また夜中で会おう相対性で早起き可愛がった後の女はベッドでまた眠ったまま誰かを泣かして感謝をされたり何かのまやかしで息を潜めて生きるエブリデイ罪なことを平気で言ってお前には悪かったな何度かこのまま傷つけて気づかせようともしたあの時の過去の俺は刑務所の中監視の歩く音でリズムだって刻んだんだ寝れねえ夜も何度も過ごしたそこで踏ん張れこれが人生の一環だと思うこんな世の中よ日本列島よ元気を出せ時が過ぎれば海に見える景色に飛ばされるはずさそんな噂以上話すと俺はタイムトラベラーいや違う夢をでっかく見たもんの勝ちさ二人の中歌を奏でてるエブリデイカン君だっていつも社長室で座ってる誰も知らないような努力を続けることさあいつらには知ったかだけを続けさせとけやいいそう言ったのは実家に帰った時のママパパは畑から帰ってきて汗だくだったんだ車で帰ってくる姉ちゃんは俺の曲を聴いてたそんな夢をガキの頃指をくわえてた時の夢だファッカ街の中何も変わらない2011年からやってることは今も一緒さ言いたい放題言ってんのがラッパーだろそう俺は心の叫びとしてお前に言いたいいや